good evening. Obviously, I am not Venerable Chodron, and I'm not going to try and pretend to be. <laughs> okay, so what I will be doing tonight is I will be doing an overview of the intermediate stage for the Lamrim, which is what the easy path is, takes us through. Venerable Choni did the um, lower stage last week, and I will do the intermediate stage this week. But we'll start by taking refuge and doing the abbreviated recitations. Namo Gurubhya Namo separated from sorrowless bliss. May all sentient beings abide in equanimity, free of bias, attachment, and anger. 
Reverently I prostrate with my body, speech, and mind and present clouds of every type of offering, actual and mentally transformed. I confess all my destructive actions accumulated since beginningless time and rejoice in the virtues of all holy and ordinary beings. Please remain until cyclic existence ends and turn the wheel of Dharma for sentient beings. I dedicate all the virtues of myself and others to the Great Awakening. This ground anointed with perfume, flowers objects of attachment, diversion, and ignorance, friends, enemies, and strangers, my body, wealth, and enjoyments. I offer these without any sense of loss. Please accept them with pleasure and inspire me and others to be free from the three poisonous attitudes. Idam Now I want you to imagine in front of you Shakyamuni Buddha, all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, made of golden light. The entire visualization is made of golden light. He encompasses all the good qualities, love, compassion, wisdom, From Shakyamuni Buddha's heart comes a replica of himself and it comes to the crown of your head. He's facing the same way as you. It's going to be your advocate. And now we'll spend a few moments doing a body scan and just do some breathing meditation. Remember the Buddha is on the crown of your head. There's light rays streaming out in all directions of the universe.
And now we'll request inspiration. Glorious and precious fruit guru, sit upon the lotus and moon seat on my crown, guiding me with your great kindness. Bestow upon me the attainments of your body, speech, and mind. The eyes to whom the vast scriptures are seen, supreme doors for the fortunate who would cross over to spiritual freedom. Illuminators whose wise means vibrate with compassion. To the entire line of spiritual mentors, I make request. Taya ta muni muni maha muni soha. Taya ta muni muni maha muni soha. Taya ta. that I and all other sentient beings have been born in samsara and are endlessly subject to intense dukkha is due to our having failed to understand that cyclic existence is by nature only dukkha and to generate a strong wish to be free of it. Guru Deity, please inspire me and all sentient beings so that once we have understood that cyclic existence is by nature only dukkha. We have the strong wish to be free of it. Think in particular that by correctly practicing the ethics of abstention from the ten non-virtues, I may obtain a happy rebirth and avoid the sufferings of a bad rebirth. Unless I attain the state of liberation that eradicates suffering, I will never know a moment of true happiness. I do not reach liberation and eradicate suffering definitively, no matter what kind of happy rebirth I may have. Once the good karma that propelled me is exhausted, I will fall into one of the three lower rebirths and be subjected to various kinds of atrocious sufferings for extremely long periods of time. Once appropriated aggregates have been produced, I cannot avoid what is by nature dukkha. This is evident for the three upper realms. Consequently, when the good karma that propelled those lives is exhausted, I will experience the endless suffering of the lower realms. In brief, appropriated aggregates are the basis for birth, aging, sickness, death, and the like in this life, and leads to manifest suffering 
and to the dukkha of change, both in the present life and in future lives. When appropriated aggregates arise, their production is by nature a composition conditioned by karma and afflictions. For that reason, by all means, may I attain guru Buddhahood that frees me from samsara, which is by nature consistent of appropriated aggregates. Guru Deity, please inspire me to be able to do so. The fact that I and all other sentient beings have been born in samsara and are endlessly subjected to various kinds of intense dukkha is due to our failure to cultivate the three higher trainings correctly once we have developed the aspiration to liberation. Although perception on its own is by nature ethically neutral, in relation to I and mind first arises the thought that they are naturally established. Then, on the basis of this mode of apprehension of the I, arises various kinds of wrong thinking, such as attachment to what is on my side, anger towards what is on the other side, and arrogance that deems me superior to others. On their basis arise doubt and wrong views that deny the existence of the guide who taught selflessness and his, of his teachings, karma and its effects, the Four Noble Truths, the Three Jewels, and the like. Based on these and the other afflictions develop. Having accumulated karma under their influence, I am obliged to experience a wise variety of dukkha in cyclic existence. Therefore, ultimately, the root of all dukkha is ignorance. May I, by all means, attain Guru Buddhahood that frees me from the root of all samsara's suffering. For that purpose, may I correctly train in the qualities that are the three precious high, higher trainings. In particular, may I correctly guard the ethical disciplines to which I have committed myself, even at the cost of my life, since guarding them is beneficial and failing to do so is extremely harmful. Since ignorance is a door to transgressions, as its antidote, may I hear and learn about the precepts. Since disrespect is a door to transgressions, as its antidote, may I respect the guide, the precepts he established, and those of pure conduct, my companions who train well in the precepts. Since carelessness is a door to transgressions, as its antidote, may I cultivate mindfulness and introspective awareness, integrity and consideration, and be conscientious. Since an abundance of afflictions is a door to transgressions, 
having meditated on ugliness as a remedy to attachment, love as a remedy to anger, and dependent arising as a remedy to ignorance, may I correctly train in order to make my ethical discipline pure and unsullied by transgressions. Guru Deity, please inspire me to be able to do so.
in response to your requesting the Guru Deity. Five colored light and nectar stream from all parts of his body into you through the crown of your head. It absorbs into your mind and body and those of all sentient beings, purifying all negativities and obscurations accumulated since beginningless time, and especially purifying all illnesses, spirit interferences, negativities, and obscurations that interfere with attaining, by all means, Guru Buddhahood, that frees you from samsara, which by nature consists of appropriate aggregates. Your body becomes translucent, the nature of light. All your good qualities, lifespan, merit, and so forth, expand and increase. Think in particular that a superior realization allowing you to attain by all means Guru Buddhahood that frees you from samsara, which by nature consists of appropriated aggregates, has arisen in your mind stream and in the mind stream of others. So good evening again. I'm Venable Sultram and I'm sitting in for Venable Children. So we're going to be doing the outline of the intermediate stage being. An intermediate stage being has a feeling for having a precious human life. It's a person who doesn't want to live by being distracted, looking only for happiness in this life. It's somebody who has taken refuge in the three jewels who has respect for karma and its effects. Somebody who sees that their actions bring effects and that they have an ethical dimension, if not in this life, in a later one. It's somebody who wants to have a good rebirth in the future, but now is beginning to question the whole idea of being in samsara together. Samsara is a body and mind taken under the influence of ignorance, afflictions, and karma the kind of life we are all attracted to and attached to. This easy path Lam Rim for the intermediate stage is broken into three different sections. The first is contemplating the sufferings in general. The second is contemplating the specific samsara dukkha. And the third is establishing the nature of the path leading to liberation. So the first category, contemplating the sufferings of samsara in general. It's the first noble truth. Most of us don't question why we have a body or why you are you and not somebody else. Do we ever ask ourselves, why was I born? What does it mean to be alive? What's going to happen when I die? What's the purpose of my life? 
These are important questions, but most people are distracted by sense objects geared towards outside, towards what's in the environment, thinking that happiness exists out there. Thinking, I have to get all these things that's going to make me happy. I have to get rid of all these things that's going to make me unhappy. But we never succeed. Because if we had, we'd be free of some sorrow already. Has anyone you know or heard of ever succeeded in making the external environment and the people in it exactly what they want it to be so that they will be happy? Um, I think the Koch brothers are trying to do it, but they haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> do you know anybody who has no suffering or confusion in their life? I don't. Not a bit. Look at all the different realms of rebirth. If you look at them from top to bottom, whatever situation you could be reborn in, None of them have what we need to attain happiness. All of them have their own kind of misery. Wanting to be reborn in cyclic existence is a setup for misery, and it's a fruitless attempt to be happy. When our rebirth comes about from our own afflictions, ignorance, and karma, then the rebirth is totally undesirable. Nobody wants ignorance, afflictions, or fluid karma because they are the cause of our suffering. No good result come, can come from it. Thinking about this, we begin to ask ourselves if there is an alternative form of existence besides being born again and again. This is where we start to think about liberation and the path to liberation. We become interested in the three higher trainings and the Eightfold Noble Path. And we'll get to those later. When we understand this, we understand why we're meditating. It's important to understand why we're meditating. Buddhism continually asks us to look at our motivation. Why are we doing things? We ask ourselves, what are we trying to get out of meditation? Are we just trying to be more peaceful and calm in this life? that is limited. We get the results according to how we are motivated. We want the motivation and the meditation to become a cause for our freedom from cyclic existence. And it won't be until we really understand what cyclic existence is and what its causes are and how meditation plays a role in eliminating the causes of that suffering and the causes of cyclic existence. So now we're going to talk about the aggregates. The aggregates are our mind and body. There are five aggregates. There's the body, which is the form aggregate, feeling, discrimination, compositional factors, and consciousness, consciousness are the other four. Our body and mind arise under the influence of ignorance, which misapprehends how things exist. Mental it also arises from mental afflictions such as attachment, anger, pride, jealousy, doubt. And polluted karmas 
the actions which we did under the influence of ignorance. Once we have the aggregates, like the body and mind that we have right now, then we can't avoid what is by nature unsatisfactory. The body which gets born, gets old, gets sick, and dies. There's no other choice. If we look at our mind, our mind also is not perfectly peaceful. We suffer from anger, jealousy, guilt, guilt or shame, so we want to call it, anxiety, lack of confidence, and other mental afflictions. Why are they there? They're there because you took a body and mind that is under the influence of ignorance. When there's ignorance, there's going to be all these disturbing motions and views and attitudes that make us quite unhappy, regardless of what is happening in the external world. Everywhere we go, there is our ignorance, selfishness, attachment, low self-esteem, doubt, and other things. All of these disturbing emotions, they go with us wherever we go. But we can change these. It's possible to get rid of the ignorance and self-preoccupation. And if we do, then all these other types of disturbing emotions will have nothing to stand on and we will finally attain actual happiness. That's something to look forward to. As a human being, we experience the misery of hunger and thirst and the misery of having to seek our own livelihood. We have to work very hard to stay alive. We have to feed ourselves. We have to get a job to earn money to feed ourselves. We have to clothe ourselves and get medicine. And we have to have places to live. It takes a lot of energy to keep ourselves alive. Even the demigods and the desire realm gods in the god realms experience birth, aging, sickness, and death. The story goes that they live on a mountain. The desire realm gods live up, up, up the mountain. The demigods live down the mountain. The roots of the trees that bear fruit are in the demigods' land. But the fruit is in the gods' land, so they fight over it. The demigods experience the mental torment of jealousy that cannot, cannot bear the thought of the gods' wealth, which in turn leads to being subjected to physical suffering. Even though they have all these sense pleasures, they still fight over it. The Zyrome gods, they have incredible sense pleasure deluxe until the week before they die. Then their body starts getting old and their friends don't want them around anymore. Sounds familiar. They smell bad. Their flower gar garlands are rotten. The last week of their life, they are left completely alone after spending their whole life being spoiled and pampered by pleasure. They're having visions of their future lives, what their future lives are going to be. They had the good karma to be reborn in the celestial realms, but now that is finishing. So some karma to be reborn in the lower realms will be ripening and down they go. They get reborn in another kind of realm. So they don't have any control over their lives. Animals don't have any control over their lives. They're often in a lot of danger. 
And the Hellrun beings and the hungry ghosts, they have no controls. And they get reborn in awful places. Even if you were born in the immaterial God realm, which is the formless God realm, there can be a lot of bliss in these realms. But their minds are not free of ignorance, afflictions, and polluted karma. So when the karma to be reborn in those realms gets, gets exhausted, then the karma to be reborn in lower mind streams ripens. Anyway, anywhere that we are reborn in cyclic existence is not going to be satisfactory. It's not going to be pretty. So rather than trying to tweak our cyclic existence and make it better, it's better to aspire for full awakening. There's no actual security. We're always standing on the edge of the cliff waiting for negative karma to ripen. Real security from a Buddhist viewpoint involves taming our mind. Real security is creating a mental environment that is free from ignorance and afflictions. If we can create that mental environment, then no matter where we go, we'll be content. But as long as we have anger inside of us, we're going to have external enemies. As long as we have greed inside of us, we're going to have people who cheat us. As long as we have arrogance inside us, we're going to have people who put us down. As long as we have jealousy inside us, we're going to have people who are better than us. But if we can change our minds and root out these mental afflictions, then there's a possibility that wherever we go and whoever we're with, we can feel okay. Because we won't have all these emotions percolating in our mind, disturbing our mental peace. It's impossible to arrange the environment and people to be all that we want and to stay that way. So we have to do it in our own minds. The reason the Buddha taught about unsatisfactory conditions and their causes is, that, is so that we can really understand the present situation that we are in very thoroughly and so that we can want to be free of it. True Dukkha, the way to interact with that is to identify it, recognize it, admit it's there. If we try to hide from it, it doesn't go away. The true cause, the way to relate to that is to eradicate it. True cessations is liberation, nirvana, the state of real freedom. The way to interact with that is to actualize it. True paths, which are the way to attain liberations, are to be cultivated. If we don't recognize the situation that we are in, it's like a person who was born in prison. That's all they know, and they think prison is the only thing that they can expect in life. We have to look at our situation and let it inspire us to do something to get out of it. And what we have to do is our own internal work to learn the path and practice it. And so as we all have Buddha nature and the potential to do that, then it's entirely possible to be free of these bodies and minds that we have right now. That's how we tame our mind. That was the first category, the first noble truth. Now we're going to go to contemplating the sufferings of this specific samsara dukkha. And don't worry, you all get to get involved in this really shortly. So have fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
The cause of dukkha is ignorance and the afflictions that come out of it. By the actions that we do with these inflictions, afflictions, inflictions, afflictions, we create karma which is polluted by ignorance and is what immediately causes our rebirth. When the body and mind of one life dies, due to craving and clinging, some karma ripens, and depending on what karma ripens, then our mind is propelled into a specific rebirth. Then once we're reborn in that rebirth, we're back with aging, sickness, and death, and all the specific miseries of that particular realm. There is a causal link. It starts with ignorance, it goes to afflictions, it goes to polluted karma, it goes to rebirth, and all the intended dukkha, or sufferings, or unsatisfactory conditions, whatever you want to call it. When we have those experiences that we don't like, and go, why is this happening to me? It arose because of our polluted karma, which arose due to our afflictions, which are based on ignorance of the nature of things. Afflictions is a phenomena that when it arises is disturbing in character, and that through disturbing and through arising disturbs the mind streams. When we act on that disturbance, creating karma, and we disturb the lives of other beings. Now we'll look at the six root afflictions. Does anybody know what they are? One. Two. Two. Three. Four. And? Both you can get involved. Attachment. Attachment exaggerates the qualities of whatever it is that we want. We see it as having happiness in it. And when we possess whatever it is we want, then the happiness will get into us. It's also projecting good qualities that are not there. Then we cling and hold on. This type of attachment is a source of our happiness, unhappiness. When there is no clinging, there is no dissatisfaction. I can vouch for this personally. <laughs> Attachment also gives rise to fear and anxiety because we're afraid that we might lose the object of our attachment or that we might never get it. Often we don't see attachment as afflictive because of the happiness that accompanies it. But if we stay with that object long enough, the feeling of happiness goes and the feeling of discomfort comes. I can vouch for that too. You know, I mean, we're always trying to get new things. Come on. This, uh, this iPhone is a year old. Time to get a new one. You know? It's like you buy a new car. As soon as you drive it over the uh, curb, depreciates depreciates $1,000. Okay, I need a new car. It takes some study of our mind to be able to identify attachment and then to be able to say this is something that I want to eliminate. Because as long as we're getting what we want and we feel happy, our renunciation of cyclic existence is out the window. Why renounce samsara if it feels so good? Often we don't see attachment as afflictive because of the happiness that accompanies it. We did that. Okay, let's go on. I was right. Attachment comes in many varieties. Craving, clinging, greed, possessiveness. Anybody else name some more? Neediness. Neediness. Addiction. Addiction. Longing. Longing. 
It's fine to have happiness. Where our problem arises is when we cling on to it, onto the happiness. We can't just let the happiness be. It arises, it ceases. It arises and we hang on to it for dear life. That is the mind state of suffering. The mind state that is greedy, that, is, that never feels satisfied. The mind state that says, whatever we have, we want more or better. We take advantage of other people. We're self-centered and we do what is best for ourselves. That's what we do when we get attached to things and we don't want to give them up. This mind creates many problems. Anger is the second of the root afflictions that we, we're going to talk about. When we can't get what we're attached to, or what we're attached to and it goes away, then how do we respond? We get angry. That's another byproduct of attachment, anger. Anger exaggerates bad qualities of someone or something and then pushes it away or just wants to destroy it. The mind is very good at creating many reasons to justify our anger. Why are not, there are nine reasons why we justify our anger. What are they? You harmed me. They did harm to me. My friend. They harmed my friend. They're going to harm me. They're going to harm me. <laughs> They're going to harm my friend. They're going to harm my friend. They don't harm my enemy. They're not. They help my enemy. They will help my enemy. They will help my enemy. They are helping my enemy. They're going to harm me in the future. Of course, that's paranoia <laughs> suspicion. Yeah, but we have it, yeah. We have it, yeah. So, our mind says that the person is wrong and I am right, and they need to change. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to give in. And we all do that. Yeah, so, individuals do it, groups do it, nations do it, and that's why we're in the big mess we're in because of it. So we all have, all have, all have our anger. What's the next one? Conceit. Yep. And ho overly high self-esteem, vain, hubris. And children said, you never hear a word said in a virtue, never hear that word, conceit, said in a virtuous sense. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever heard it say it said in a, in a virtuous sense? Come on. We often have a hard time seeing the conceit of I. And that's what it does. It builds I up. I am superior. I am better than you in some way or another. And it's always, always, always centered on I. So there are seven types of conceit. What are they? Ooh. Uh, we'll take answers from online. Thinking that we're better than inferior. Thinking I am superior in relation to someone who is inferior. Thinking the conceit of thinking I am superior in relation to someone who is equal. Uh, almost as good as somebody who's superior. Yeah. Conceit thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah, thinking, conceit of thinking we are just a little bit inferior to someone who is superior. Yeah. I think you said that. Oh, okay, it's conceit thinking I am superior in relation to someone who is better than us. Yeah. It's the one that says that I'm the worst of the worst. Yeah. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm the, mm-hmm. the inverted pride, the pride that thinks that you are so bad that. Isn't there an inverted pride? I think that's the flip side of it. I think, yeah, that's a flip side of one of them. How many have you got so far? Four? Four, I think. Yeah. Conceit of I is one. Conceit of I am. Conceit with regards to the aggregates or with regards to the self. The conceit of I am. We're building it up and it doesn't exist. We flaunt ourselves simply because we exist. You cannot ignore me. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. It's the conceit that thinks we have good qualities we don't have. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> the conceit that says that we don't have good, the bad qualities that we do have. The conceit of thinking our faults are virtues. Can you give an example of things that have we have good qualities we don't have? I'm, I'm a whole lot smarter than you. <laughs> That would be conceit. <laughs> well, actually, it depends on what subject we're talking about. <laughs> Science, history, forget. Um, good possibly, I don't have any, I mean, anything. I'm not sure, but I think she's got a better coat than I do. <laughs> so that's conceit. What are the disadvantages? Becoming visible to learning anything, because when you already know everything, then you can't learn anything from anybody. Right. Oh, here's another example. Sorry, off the topic, but thinking that you're doing kind and generous things when your motivation is actually <laughs> for people to love you. Mm. That's definitely a kind. So, what's the next one? What's the next root virtue? Non-virtue. Ignorance, yes. Buddhism says there are two kinds of ignorance. I'm sure this says there are many more, but we're going to stick with Benul Children's teaching on the topic. So, the ignorance of the ultimate mode of phenomena and the ignorance of karma and its effect, the Four Noble Truths, etc. So, the ignorance of the ultimate mode of phenomena is the ignorance of ultimate truth grasp at people and things as existing inherently from their own side. It misapprehends them. There's two different views of that. One of not knowing, and the other one is an active misapprehension of it. And you're going to have to look into the teachings if you want me to go further than that. (laughs) Or you can give examples if you'd like. The other one is ignorance of karma and its effect, Four Noble Truths, etc. And that's our total confusion of what to abandon and what to practice. 
What is virtuous? What is not virtuous? What should I do and what should I stop doing if I want to be happy? Racing right through these. So the next is what? We just finished the ignorance. Ignorance. That's a lot, yeah, doubt. Ignorance, jealousy. Jealousy, jealousy sign, Not a root one. Diluted doubt. Diluted doubt. There are three types of doubt. What are they? Doubt going towards the uh, wrong conclusion. Mm-hmm. Doubt uh, going towards the correct con- conclusion. Mm-hmm. Meeny, 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 So this one is the deluded doubt, which is a doubt that is inclined towards a negative view. If you feed your deluded doubt, then it's going to go all the way to wrong, it can go all the way to wrong view. And it's not, we're not talking about little things like should I eat or something. We're talking about the really, really important things like having to deal with your spiritual practice. So, And what's the last one? Also called afflictive blues. Maybe because also part of the afflictive views. Yeah. So there are five afflictive views. They are all wrong views. They are not reliable cognizers. They misapprehend things. However, because they have their own kind of logic, they develop their own erroneous convictions that they're sure are true. And because they use reasoning, even though it's incorrect reasoning, and because they distinguish an object and know its qualities, these afflicted views are known as afflictive intelligence or afflicted wisdom, however idiotic that sounds. So, what are they? The view of the perishing aggregates. view of the perishing aggregates, also called the view of the personal identity or the view of the transitory collection. All kinds of neat names. Next. View of holding to an extreme. View of extremes. Um, view of holding that certain types of um, unethical conduct is uh, supreme. View of holding wrong more. views as supreme. View of holding wrong 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 behaviors as, as as supreme, like wrong. Uh, you know, one like animal sacrifice. Views of rules and practices is the way she explained it. Oh yeah, might be. And the last one? That's a different name, wrong views. Wrong views, yeah. So what is the view of personal identity? Jigta. Jigta is absolutely correct. Now explain Jigta. <laughs> Afflictive intelligence, which, having apprehended the conventionally existent I or mine, uh-huh. grasps the I or mine as yeah. to exist inherently. So, yeah. so what's the next one? What did we say the, the next one was? Two extremes. View of the streams, and what is that? Absolutism or nihilism. Mm-hmm. 
So absolutism meaning that uh, things exist uh, permanently, independently from their own side. And nihilism is that there is absolutely nothing that exists. Okay, the view of the extremes refers to the self apprehended by the view of a personal identity and holds that self to be permanent and eternal or becomes completely extinguished at death. It's focused on a real soul or controller, which is a view of the personal identity. And that person at the time of death goes on without changing, that's important, or it ends completely. And the next one. That its object was the view of the personal identity. Mm-hmm. Cool. Next one. What number are we on? Three. 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 Holding. Uh, Holding wrong views. Wrong, yeah. wrong behaviors. Something like that. It's the true Yeah. Yeah. And wrong views. It denies the existence of something that exists exist or exerts that existence of something that does not exist. Um, well, they're talking about things like the three jewels and the full awakening as saying that they don't exist. And um, what was the example she used of existing? Oh, like having a soul, saying that a soul absolutely exists. That would be wrong view. That's what it's, that's what it's going for. The next one. It's all the rituals and practices. Well, we'll go to that one if you like. <laughs> it's a view of holding wrong views as supreme. And that regards any or all of the first three views as correct and the best view to have. You're proud of it. You're proud of having your wrong views. And the last one is the views of rules and practices. It, and examples of that? Killing so that you can go to heaven. Mm-hmm. A view that holds bad ethics and modes of conduct as supreme. A view that is mistaken about what is constructive and what is destructive. So, there we go. Yay! So, those are the root of... Root views. Now there are many, 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 many other mental afflictions, but I'm not going to go into those because she didn't. (laughs) So we're on the last category, which is establishing the nature of the path leading to liberation. So we've decided that that ignorance misapprehends reality. Wisdom sees things as empty of inherent existence. This wisdom can overpower ignorance, which is a wrong consciousness. When the ignorance ceases, then the afflictions cease. Then the polluted karma ceases, then the true dukkha ceases. To really understand this, we have to have some feeling for emptiness to gain that kind of conviction. When we do, then we are very confident, not only that some star stinks, but that it's possible to get out of it. We have to have that confidence that there is a state that exists beyond samsara. That is the third noble truth. There is a path to get to that state, and that's the fourth noble truth. And that's what we're going to talk about. So what are the true paths that we practice to reach the state beyond samsara? 
The three higher trainings. That's the that's what it is, yeah. And yeah. Yes, we will get to that, yes, I promise. They referred to as higher because you do them having taken refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. We are, after all, talking about people who are on the easy path, so. <laughs> they become really higher trainings when you become an Arya. But we don't have to worry about that quite yet. At least I don't have to worry about that quite yet. All of you might be an Arya, but I don't know. So the three higher trainings are ethical conduct, concentration, concentration and wisdom. So first we're going to go over ethical conduct. Ethical conduct is the actions that we do. How we do them, why we do them, when we do them. We are striving for, for virtuous actions. Actions that create merit. We have taken refuge and we have taken precepts. And that's what we do when we're on, when we take refuge, we take precepts. We're talking about practicing in common with the intermediate stage being of, of middle level capacity. So the precepts that these people take are the precepts of individual liberation, the Pratimoksha precepts. Now the people also take Bodhisattva or Tantra precepts, but they take those when they are on the path of the advanced capacity beings, and those will be taught at a later date, not by me. We take these precepts because having taken precepts, then we create merit by not doing the actions that we are trying to avoid not doing, or by doing the opposite, saving lives, telling truths, etc. We purify a lot of negativities when we have pure precepts, which helps us get rid of the habits of not doing that negativity. And we also create a lot of merit, more, we create more merit by having the precepts and not doing the bad thing that we're trying to avoid doing than if we didn't have the precepts at all. So, okay. From our own experience and examinations, we conclude that we really don't want to do these things which cause people not to trust us or which ruin our lives and other, others' lives. We take them saying this is what we don't want to do. So, there are eight types of Pratimoksha precepts. What are they? How many? Two. Five. Five. No, we're talking. Eight, eight, eight types of Pratimoksha precepts. Yeah, there's two in that category, male and female. Okay, the five lay precepts taken for life divided into male and female. That's one. Then oh, that's two. Sorry. Then the eight precepts. The the one day precepts. Eight one day precepts. These are taken for 24 hours. These are not the Bodhisattva precepts, and you take them with at least the motivation of renunciation of samsara. So that's three. To, um, novice, female, 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 female. Male and female novice monastic. Shikshmana. Shikshmana. Male and female full. Male and female full precepts. There you go. So the five lay precepts are killing, stealing, unwise and unkind sexual behavior, lying and, and avoiding intoxicants. Avoiding all of those. Avoiding all of yeah. <laughs> Avoid all those, yes. We don't want to kill us. We don't want to do that. Okay, now. Abandoned. Yes. Yes. Now, what are the eight one day precepts? So you have all of those. 
killing, stealing, celibacy. celibacy instead of unwise and unkind sexual behavior because you're only taking it for one day so they expect you to be celibate that entire day. So 24 whole hours. 24 whole hours. Killing, stealing, celibacy, lying, intoxicants. Uh, sitting on high beds or seats or thrones. Yep. Eating at proper times. Yep. Uh, wearing garlands and ornaments and singing and dancing with attachment. Or not wearing. Or not perfumes. wearing. <laughs> not wearing. Um, yeah, perfume, singing, dancing, going for entertainment, and so forth. Okay, now how do the novice monastic precepts relate to them? And? And they add one, which is not handling money. Yeah. And then I ain't even going to go into how many we got full, as full monastics, so we got too many to go through. Yep, and they're also divided in male and female, I don't want to go into that. It just makes me mad. We have 100 more than they do? Okay, so there are four factors through which we often transgress the precepts. That's right. There are four factors, what? Which we often transgress our precepts. What are they? Carelessness. Carelessness. Ignorance. Lack of integrity. Is that where integrity and others go? Heedlessness. What would you say? Integrity and consideration for others. How about disrespect? Disrespect. And what's the last one? Uh, actually, that's in carelessness. That's part of carelessness. How about abundance of afflictions? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ignorance, disrespect, carelessness, and abundance of afflictions. So, ignorance. That's where we don't really understand what the precepts are. We don't understand what constitutes keeping the specific precepts we've taken or what constitutes breaking them. We don't understand what constitutes a root transgression or what constitutes a minor transgression. So what are the antidotes? Yep, to hear and learn about the precepts. The next one is disrespect. If we don't respect the Buddha or the precepts or the people who keep the precepts, then we're going to think the precepts are stupid and we're not going to keep them. So what are the antidotes? If we think the precepts are stupid, we're not going to keep them. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. this, this is disrespect. Right? Disrespect. Respect. <laughs> the antidote we cultivate, respect for the Buddha as the awakened one. We cultivate respect for the precepts themselves. And we cultivate respect for others who keep the precepts, who can be good role models on the path. So respect. The more we understand, I think, the more we respect them. Yes. Seeing the qualities of keeping. Okay, the next one is carelessness. Uh, door to transgressions because we're just reckless. There's no mindfulness of our precepts. We've forgotten them. There's no introspective awareness of what we're saying or doing or thinking. We don't have integrity in our mind. 
so we don't really care about our ethical conduct. We have no consideration for others, so we don't care how our non-virtuous actions affect other people, and we don't have conscientiousness because we don't value our ethical conduct at all. So what are the antidotes? Mindfulness, awareness, integrity and consideration, and conscientiousness. Very good, yeah, see? It's not that difficult. Abundance of afflictions. Sometimes we may know our precepts and we may even respect our precepts and we may not be careless, but our minds are just overwhelmed by an affliction at a certain time. We don't have ethical discipline, pure and unsullied by transgressions. So what's the antidote to attachment? I said it in the opening remarks. Ugliness. What's the attachment to anger? Yes. What's the antidote to anger? Antidote. Fortitude. Fortitude and love. And what's the antidote to ignorance? Wisdom. Dependent arising. Yep. So, that is ethical conduct. The first of the three higher trainings. Now we're going to go over concentration. In concentration, we first choose the object of meditation in order to develop it. We usually use the breath or the Buddha or whatever our teacher says might be helpful to us. Now we're going to go over the hindrances that they described in the Pali tradition and that Venerable Children described. What are they? Desire. Desire. Malice. Malice. Malice, Malice. Malice and ill will, yeah. And yet, also We're known as... Yep. Drowsiness. Yep. Restlessness and remorse. Yep. And the last one? Doubt. Doubt. Okay, so sensual desire. We want pleasure. I know I do. It's called sensual desire because it's mostly through our senses. We want to see beautiful things and hear pleasant sounds and smell nice odors. Even things like approval. We hear nice sounds or we read nice words. Things that we get, we get from the outside. What is the antidote? Seeing the transitoryness of those experiences, seeing the impermanence of those experiences, Meditating. seeing the ugliness of those experiences. Meditating on death and impermanence and the disadvantages of cyclic existence. Yep. So the next one, malice. What? Oh, malice. Yeah. I don't like it. It arises when something is interfering with our happiness. What is the antidote? Meditating on love, loving kindness and fortitude and forgiveness. Venerable Children was very specific about that. Make sure you meditate on forgiveness. Yep. So dullness and drowsiness. It has to do with our internal resistance to the teachings or it has to do with disrespecting the Dharma or our teachers from previous teachings or in the past. So what are the antidotes? Hey! This is not sloppin' um, it's not drowsiness or uh, What's an antidote? <laughs> um, has to do with our internal resistance to the teachings. Or it has to do with disrespecting the Dharma or our teachings from previous teachings or in the past. Basically, it's our bad karma catching up with us. Purification. Yeah. Purification, yep. What else? 
Open your eyes. Open your eyes, yeah. Frustrations. Frustrations, purifications, frustrations, cold water, be a little bit cold, exercise. Exercise. <laughs> Look long distance. Brighten the object of meditation. Okay, restlessness and regret. You're restless. You just can't sit still or your mind just can't stay still. Or regret. It's a feeling that you shouldn't have done something that you did do or you did, didn't do something that you should do. Uneasiness. What's the answer? Breathing meditation. meditation. Purification. Purify and make amends is the, re is the antidote for regret. The meditation on the breath or nature of the body because you don't like necessarily care for meditation on the breath. So, okay. Now we're going to go on to the Noble Eightfold Path. Oh, we didn't do that, did we? Ah, sorry. Deluded doubt. Is it possible to develop concentration or is it impossible? That would be a deluded doubt. Does this method work or doesn't? I mean, I have, I have these questions all the time. Now. Do I have the right meditation object? What are the antidotes? Well, if you have it all the time, you tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, but I'm trying to get you involved. Oh, I see. <laughs> study. Yeah. Yep. Might ask yourself, what in the, or remember what in the nature of Dharma really touched your heart, and then think about something in the Dharma that real, you really know to be true, and then go from there. Now we'll go to the na something Noble Eightfold Path. That's the point, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So this is the fourth of the four noble truths. In the Theravada tradition, the true path is the Noble Eightfold Path. In the Madhyamika philosophy, a true path is an Arya's realization informed by the wisdom realizing the emptiness of inherent existence. And that is a mouthful. So, what are the, what is the Noble Eightfold Path? What are they? Give me eight. Right view. Yep. Right intention. Yep. Right speech. Yep. Right action. Yep. Right livelihood. Yep. Right effort. Right yep. Right message. No, there's an M, right, right, uh, mindfulness. Yep. Concentration. Even in order, cool. So we're going to go over the first one, the first two, which is right view and right tension, and they are actually part of the higher training of wisdom in the three higher trainings. Well, they are the three trainings. So, right view. Okay. Right view, understanding karma, that our actions have ethical dimensions, that there is past and future lives, etc., 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 all the good things that we have been learning about. Anybody have a problem with that? Right intention. Um, what, is, what is right intention? <laughs> oh, very well. Motivated by a wish not to harm. Motivated by, yep. And? wish to benefit. Yes. And? Compassion. Yep. Compassion. Yep. Benevolence. Yep. What's the other one? No, it's free. And not to harm, to benefit. Or to compassion, not to harm, but compassion. To liberate yourself. Right intention. Doing actions with benevolence, renunciation, 
and compassion. Yes. So that is the higher training of wisdom. The higher training of ethical conduct. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. Yeah. Okay. So right speech. Speaking truthfully, speaking to bring about harmony, speaking with kindness, and speaking at appropriate times and over appropriate topics. What are they the opposite of? Yep. They are the opposite of the four non-virtues of speech. Right action. They are the opposite of the three non-virtues of action. And what are they? Stealing is such Yep, so saving life, protecting others' properties, and using sexuality wisely and kindly. Right livelihood for lay people. Um. <clears throat> How do we get the requisites for life, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine? Working in a job that is a benefit to others and having correct motivation, not lying in your work or cheating people in some way, not making ammunition or looting chemicals, yeah, not taking bribes, etc., etc. What about a monastic? Which are? Yeah. Yep. Coercion. Yep. And flattery. Yep. And the higher concentration, uh, higher training of concentration. Effort. Um, well, actually, right effort is applied to all the higher trainings. Yep. That's uh, putting our effort into things that are worthwhile. There are four supreme strivings. Anybody know? Um, striving to develop that which has already good qualities that have already been developed, to not let those decline, and then striving to, to cultivate, cultivate ones that we don't have, and, and then overcome the ones that we overcome the the faults that we have. Okay, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Effort to prevent the arising of non-virtue. Yeah. Effort to abandon non-virtues that have already arisen. Effort to cultivate new virtues, and effort to maintain and enhance the virtues that are already present. That's the power virtue. That's yes, that's what she taught. Right. Okay. And now we'll go back to right concentration, which is right mindfulness and right concentration. So right mindfulness is what? Remembering first of all your precepts. Actually, it's the four establishments of mindfulness. Yeah. Mindfulness of body, the mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of mind, and the mindfulness of phenomena. And last but not least is right concentration. It includes the four jhanas, the four levels of concentration that are beyond our realm of desire, where you actualize serenity and you can place your mind on a virtuous object for as long as you want and it's not going to be distracted. Oh. Of course, I'm nowhere near that, so I'm happy if I get my mind on the object a little bit for a few minutes at a time. And that is my teaching and that's what I have to All say. She wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any questions? <laughs>
So th- there is a re- there is a reason why the Eightfold Noble Path, why they're done in reverse order from the three higher trains. It's the wisdom first, then the ethical conduct, and the concentration. I think Bhikkhu Bodhi talked about it once, but I don't know the reason why. Is there a reason? I don't know. I didn't come. Something I don't remember. Needing, needing to... No, because the, the wisdom was the first. Well, I think you can go any way you want. Because it's view and attention first. Yeah, that's how they're taught. But it goes back, when it starts with view and it ends with view. Yeah, it's a circle. It ends with view again. So we almost explained it before. And so by the time you got into the... So it's like the view is deeper or more profound. Oh, good. (laughs) And actually, it's just about time to be done. So, oh, yeah, (laughs) real fast. Okay. I agree, totally. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go into that because. Oh my head. <laughs> okay. So, let's once again think about the Buddha that's on top of our head, and we'll let it dissolve into us and reappear out of our heart. And we'll keep the thought of that Buddha and our Buddha nature in our minds for as long as possible. And we'll dedicate the merit. Due to this merit may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their sufferings. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase forevermore.